Hello, welcome to episode number 253 of the Apple Log Podcast, the first episode of the year of 2020. I'm your host, Simon Head. Welcome to my show. Hey, Amazon shoppers, thank you so much for shopping on Amazon this Christmas season and supporting the show. You too can support the show by going to applelog.ca slash Amazon or applelog.ca slash USAmazon. You can do it the old-fashioned way by going to applelog.ca and click on those banners located on the right side. Locate your country, whether you're from Canada, the United States, or the UK. Bookmark all those links, and every time you shop on Amazon, use them to shop and support the show, and it costs you no extra money. If you want to help me out, you can support me on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash You can pledge as much or as little as you want on a monthly basis to help with hosting and gas fees, and you can cancel any time. Go buy a t-shirt at applelog.ca slash shop. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. Give it five stars. Like the show on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash applelogpod. And follow me on Twitter, at simonhead666. Today on the show, I have Claudio De Gift, who is the founding member of the band Light, based out of Buenos Aires, Argentina. Uh, Light is a prog rock band. Uh, they have some music out for sale. You can go get it wherever music is sold. Go check out their Facebook and their YouTube. That information will be on the on the uh, description of the podcast. Here he is, Claudio the Gift, on the Apple Podcast. You sent me an email through the podcast website, and we had a common interest in saving a certain recording studio up here in Canada called Le Studio. Um, yeah, of course. You have a band called Light. Um, yeah. You are a musician based out of uh, Argentina, Buenos Aires, and uh, that's all we need exactly. to know, right? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad to. I'm glad you're on the show, and uh, you know, I'm glad I, I do have. Quite, I've, I haven't interviewed too many people in that area in the South American region, but uh, it always seems fascinating to me because it's the other end of the world. I mean, it, for us, literally, it's the other end of the world. Um, do you have any actual interests in, like, just besides North America for its music? Is there anything else about North America that that turns your crank? Um, I mean, it's mainly the music, you know. But, of course, I don't know, uh, ever since I was a child, you know, there's lot of, lots of movies, you know, that you, you get to see when you are a kid and then a teenager. And maybe it's more like a pop culture kind of thing that attracts me. But it's been the music, really. I mean, uh, bands, especially UK bands, you know, mm -hmm. Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, uh, and everything that uh, has to do with rock music that has influenced Rush, for example, being a Canadian band or other American bands that claim to be influenced by British artists. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's always a crossover between what, where it starts in England and uh, ends up its way to North America, and from there it goes elsewhere, but it's all in the same time. You know, think about the 60s and the Beatles and the Stones, they were as important 
to South America as they were to North America, correct? Um, I mean, they go first to North America and they have a really great success there. But then, uh, I mean, South America, it's always kind of a bit late. Maybe not now with globalization and all that, you know, because if a band releases a new album now, it's everywhere uh, at that same time. But in the past, it, w it was more like, oh, yeah, the, the single is released in the UK and a week later in the, uh, I don't know, in the United States. And then maybe one or two years later, it was released everywhere else, including South America. Mm -hmm. But that was long ago. That, that was the, the thing back then. Now, growing up, as a as a band, uh, as a musician, you you say you were into bands like Led Zeppelin and The Who and and all bands, English bands and things like that. Um, did you did you always know that you were going to play music or be involved with music or um, have a passion for music? Is this always since a young age? Mm, uh, I don't think so. I mean, when I was eight years old. I remember starting listening to music, especially Guns N' Roses, you know, mm -hmm. and I was really into Guns N' Roses, you know, there was a VHS, uh, I mean, there was a, a video, a cassette video that had a concert in River Plate Stadium in Buenos Aires, that was the first time Guns N' Roses played in Argentina, and I remember that I went to that show when I was four years old, <laughs> because my parents took me. Of course, they are fans of the band, and they could take me as a baby or as a very little kid. Mm -hmm. And that concert was uh, recorded, I mean, was saved. And I, I really was, you know, crazy about it. And this, especially the Use Your Illusion 2 album. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I didn't know how to play the guitar, you know, I, I just sang the songs and played the first song over and over again, like Civil War. And later on, I started to open up, and I continued with, the, with that album and started to listen to the rest of the songs. Uh, and my father seems, I mean, now that I look back on that, uh, my, my father knew that I had to play the guitar, I had to learn an instrument. I mean, I had to learn how to play an instrument, at, at least to try it out. And it turned out that it, it was a guitar. I mean, he bought me a guitar, an acoustic guitar, and I started taking lessons. And I learned pretty quick, you know, how to play with uh, some lessons at San Fernando Club. There was a club um, like three kilometers away from where I live. And that was the place where I started taking lessons with a guy called Daniel Navarro. He's a local musician, a very good one. And he basically taught me uh, some harmony, some basic harmony and all of the notes on the guitar and some folklore songs, you know, traditional music from Argentina and from this region of South America. And that started all, really. Then I went on and started listening to The Police, uh, Van Halen, you know, uh, because those were the records that my father had. My father and my mother were really rock, I mean, into rock music and rock and pop, you know, 
Oh, especially international music, not so much uh, national bands like Soba Stereo and things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're always interested. Yeah, it's funny how kids are always influenced by their ki- uh, parents, you know, and the parents, if they have good taste in music, generally the kids also have good taste in music and uh, can carry on the tradition. Yeah. And maybe yeah, and reinvent- I'm thankful for that. Yeah, and reinvent it a little bit too, right? So um, did you find... Now, here's a funny question, because I have a 16-year-old, and the music he listens to, I'm not a big fan of, but I think that's the dynamic that kids and parents need to have. Like, was there music that your parents would be like, oh, my God, this is the worst, please shut this off? Was there any music you took to your parents that was just, like, so bad for, to them? Mm, no, no, because I, I really, I honestly like the things that they like. Mm-hmm. But um, maybe... My father wasn't really a fan of Celtic music, you know, like traditional Irish songs and all that. Mm-hmm. And when I first started with that, and I really like it, you know, I, I fell in love with with that kind of music and, and the whole Irish culture, Celtic culture, in 2005. And that was thanks to my mother. She bought a, an album, you know, a compilation album of traditional songs. And when I came home, once from school, I, I, I listened to, to some melody that was very familiar to me. Uh, and it turned out to be a U2 song, but it was a very different version. It was instrumental and there, had, there was an oboe there. Uh, and when I entered the living room and picked up that CD, it was like Celtic Dreams, the best of Celtic music. Mm-hmm. And I asked my mother, What's this? Oh, it's uh, it's music that I use uh, to give massages, you know. And I said, oh, it's really nice. And I started to, to listen to that. And uh, I think my father was more like, hey, don't play that music when I'm <laughs> when I'm here, you know. Yeah. But then he, I mean, he understood it because maybe he was kind of narrow-minded in the sense that he's a purist of rock and roll uh, but I don't know now he's like 60 almost 60 years old and this was uh, like 15 years ago yeah and his mind is much more open now I think it's especially because of my brother he's the one that brings challenging music you know uh, math metal and meshuga and things <laughs> that are quite come on please shut it off but um, I don't, I don't know. My, my brother is driven and he's persistent and he still plays those records. And now we are, we are accepting it as well. Yeah, yeah. So playing in a, you were playing in bands when you are in high school and stuff and, and, and doing that type of thing? Was that, was that good, like what you did? Back then? Yeah. No, not that much. Uh, because here in, in Argentina, we don't have high school performances you know i mean not like rush in in the late 60s you know the, yeah. the, have you seen the documentary beyond the latest stage yes i did yeah well not like that <laughs> you know at, at least that was my experience but uh, we used to play at backyards you know maybe the other guitar players backyard um or the drummers, uh, the first band, the first band that I led, it was called Lenny. And we used to play at home, and we also played at the drummer's 
you know, backyard, as, as I said. But, I mean, I'm not so much of a live performer. I do enjoy playing live. I like it. Mm-hmm. But I'm getting tired of, of not having, you know, like really interesting live gigs because it's been a long time now. And uh, I'd rather be at home recording music and mixing, mastering, producing, of course, you know, arranging and being creative and feeling satisfied with all of that instead of, uh, you know, working my ass off with a very cool set list and trying to get rehearsals with the rest of the band. And then we go to a concert and the concert is just a bar with five people there. I mean, it's not worth all of the effort. So kind of I I decided to move away from all the live circuit. But if there's a really good chance to play in front of a, you know, of, a, of an audience of 500 people or something like that, and the gig is, you know, is promising, then yeah, I would, uh, I would work on it and I would be there in a heartbeat. Yeah, yeah. So local music it sounds like local rock and roll or is isn't as strong as to say it would be in a, in a more area of like New York City or Los Angeles or even Toronto. It sounds like this there's not much is there a scene? Is there a scene of 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 clubs and people that get together and band together as musicians or is it pretty isolated? Here in Buenos Aires, there's uh, there are many bands, there are many artists that like good music and they play good music, but maybe we're not as organized, you know, as we should, or I don't know. Uh, what I think, yeah, and this is a general thing, it, it may apply to many musicians around the world, is that you don't have to be just a great musician or or a very good musician or have good taste in order to succeed. You know, it's your responsibility to learn how to, um, how to market yourself, you know, how to get the music out there and how to make people interested in it. Because for instance, here we have, um, we have kind of an association of prog musicians called prog resistance. And they they organized the Virus Prague Fest since 2016, and there have been like 14 editions of it. Some have been quite decent, and some others not. But uh, I mean, the audiences are always very very small because we don't have enough marketing. You know, I mean, we don't have any marketing at all in order to make a really great festival, even though there are excellent bands. You know, there's a band called Volvox, for instance. They play experimental, progressive music, and they are really good. You know, they play hard rock, too. And, yeah, and the audience is always, like, 30 people, you know, 40 people, maybe. And it's not, it's not enough, you know. They deserve a much better... Um, a much better number in the audience and it depends on on learning strategies you know on how to sell the thing you know how to promote it the way it should be promoted i guess 
that is definitely a very important thing, and you don't need to be from any uh, Buenos Aires or Australia or anywhere that's sort of outside a uh, outside of the the, um, the music industry or has a different music industry, is being able to put your music in front of people that want to hear it as well as they might not want to hear it, but they hear it anyways, that that's the important task. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the important task of the, of the, uh, of the musician where 20 years ago, that was someone else's job. Um, that was a record label would, would do that. Now the record industry has re everything's restructured and this is a worldwide thing too, is, is it's, it's all changing for the fact to make things harder on the musician and easier on on the record industry people. And that might be, somebody might disagree with me there, but that's just my observation. You know, if you're a band that wants to create... No, no, I think that you... Go ahead. No, no, tell me, tell me. Oh, I mean, if you're a band that wants to create music and you want people to like it, we are in kind of a neat time that we can market music to people who want to hear it. The trouble is, is that... The industry is so huge, or the sorry, the internet is so huge that it's really tough to get that niche of music to the people that really want to hear it. It's too big. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's a notion of artist, you know. That's the thing with the internet. There's no filter at all. Yeah, but to you know, I mean, I I I think that the internet is beneficial, you know. Uh, I started with it ten years ago. It was in two thousand and yeah, two thousand and nine, and it to me it was great. It it was like oh, this is really cool. I don't need a manager in order to get my music out there. Yeah. You know, yeah, definitely. I, it was quite naive, and it's been great ever since. I mean, I don't complain in the sense that. I was able to produce my own music and to grow a lot and to learn how to produce, how to mix, you know, how to get much better sound with each record that I that I wrote, you know, and that I worked on. Mm -hmm. uh, but the difficult thing, the only difficult thing that is still quite green is the, the marketing thing. You know, it's like the last step in order to break through yeah. because everything else can be under my control. You know, uh, trying to put up a band, you know, uh, recruiting musicians and creating arrangements and all that. But then when it comes to, hey, this is a final product, we are very proud of it, let's go, go and put it out, out there. And we put it out there and we do our best, you know, we, uh, I mean, we share a lot on Facebook and all that and YouTube. But it's not enough because they never go viral. You know, there's something that we need to learn how to do in order to make it viral and and to stop sharing just one video at a time. You know, it should explode, but it's quite hard to do that. Well, YouTube in a way is 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 one of those cream rises to the top um, models, if you know what I mean. The the goodwill prevail. But also, there's also a knack, like you say, there's a knack of making your uh, a video um, viral. But it also, it's about as much luck as it is to become a successful band in your own hometown. It has the same amount of challenges. So if you're in there with that big, that big YouTube machine and you've put your video, and quite truthfully, I found you guys covering the Rush song, I found that on YouTube all by myself. You know, I, I didn't need... 
anybody to tell me it was there because I was on that the whole... The Natural Science cover. Yeah, yeah. So I saw that. Uh-huh. I saw that before you even emailed me. And once you put it to, once you sent me the email, I'm like, oh, this is this is the band that covers this 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 Rush song, and it's you know, and the, to me, that is that's the importance of communication in YouTube is that what you're doing is is uh, rememberable or is it people can remember the fact that that's not an easy song to cover, and uh, you guys pulled it off quite nicely. And so, oh, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Hey, did, so you traveled? Did you travel all the way up to Montreal, up to Morn um, Heights, to 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 do some of that recording, or like how did that work out? Yeah, I mean, it was one of the things that I had to do in Canada. Uh, it was as important as seeing Rush live two two days later. Hmm. I mean, I, I had the I had the ticket, you know, the plane ticket and the concert ticket. Uh, I was going to be uh, at home, you know, at a friend's house because we we had worked on another virtual cover of of a Rush song, The Trees, and that was her first time collaborating. Uh, and uh, I, I mean, I helped I helped her how to how to make virtual covers because she had no idea, mm-hmm. and she was so you know, thankful and really happy with the final result and said, anytime you come here to Canada, you can stay at home. And I said, oh, okay. And three years later, yeah, three or four years later, Rush announced uh, the, the R40 tour and it was going to be in North America alone. So I said, hey, Vera, uh, are you still, you know, are you still open to having me at your house? Yeah, of course. And we went together to the show. It was her, her daughter, her husband, myself, and it was great. But I, I, I needed to convince her of Les Studio because she didn't know about it. You know, she's a Rush fan, but she isn't kind of a super nerd <laughs> about Rush. And I, I knew about it, and I was freaking out. I when when I learned that Les Studio was abandoned and that the, the infrastructure was still there. I said I had to. I have to go. I mean, I have to go. Uh, I thought about the natural science intro. It had to be played there because I, I read that natural science. I mean, the tide pulls apart was recorded at outside. It yeah. was, uh, yeah. you know, at the shores of that lake, and I needed to fulfill that dream. Um, I'm really, really thankful that I could do that. I think it was one week before traveling that I also thought about Limelight and I recorded Limelight sitting where Neil used to have the drum set put put together. Mm-hmm. So there are two videos actually, the Natural Science video and Limelight. And Limelight has way more views than the other one. <laughs> and people, yeah, sometimes I get, uh, I mean, I, I get comments uh, out of nowhere, you know, not because I'm sharing the video. And that's good, but I mean... There are videos that do get viral, you know, between inverted commas, uh, because of uh, something special. I mean, because I went to the studio, maybe, or the the natural science cover as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another cover that Light, my band, did um, made, sorry, which is Tubular Bells by Bank Oldfield, and it was a mega virtual collab. There are like 23 musicians from all around the world. It's a very very nice production and that one is another you know is another video that doesn't need uh, to be shared by 
by myself, you know. People are commenting, people are watching it. I don't know how, I don't know how is it that YouTube allows, you know, uh, allows it to be more, um, uh, you know, more viral, you know, yeah. To, to, yeah. to put it some way. But it happens. Maybe there aren't a lot of covers of it. So anytime people type tubular bells, it's one of the first options, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What what happens to is once you get a for certain amount of views, is that you get kicked into a different level of of uh, uh, spotlight. So I mean, I don't know how that algorithm works, but it does. So if you get a certain amount of views, like I I recorded a guy playing ukulele uh, in my in the in my car. It was this guy Spike uh, Slauson from a band called Me First and the Gimme Gimmies, and he recorded a cover of Xanadu by Olivia Newton-John in the passenger seat of my car and it got it got like way more views than any other video I've ever put on there only because uh-huh. it's 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 different and weird because you know <laughs> that happened but the, you know it, it's it nobody can really determine um how that works and only YouTube people know how that works being the YouTube people and I don't know if that if there's like tastemakers that kind of pull like humans that can kind of pull and curate what is is listenable or if it's just a machine running in the background saying, oh, we got a thousand mm-hmm. likes on this one song. Let's push it into this area here. Or it, it determines, like I said, cream rises to the top. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, it's interesting that Le Studio story because I fo- I've been following it for almost 10 years. And... Um, there was a video of a guy who just walked with his cell phone around the place and nobody had gone inside yet. And, uh, you know, the piano was still there and everything was there. And it was the unfortunate part of it is that people started watching that video and going, Oh, there's an abandoned recording studio out in the woods. Let's go fuck it up. You know, let's, let's go wreck it. And that's exactly yeah. what happened. Yeah. yeah. And it, the success of that video yeah. is what really made that place, you know, get so bad but it also it's to it's you know it's now actually being put back on its feet by a gentleman richard baxter who's really really working hard and i didn't think you'd ever be able to do this i thought it was a complete fool's errand and uh you know here he is now making making and making this thing into what he wanted it to be which is i think a a museum as well as a, a recording studio and we can go record there yeah i was really excited to that postcard um, it was you and Richard talking about it and I had no idea that the studio was um, I mean has like electricity now again mm-hmm. so that was a major step forward uh, I, I was really really happy I, I don't I mean for him you know for every Rush fan and it'd be great to, to make it a function in a studio again and to have the chance to go and record again, you know, but properly now, mm-hmm. you know, like a new less studio area. Mm-hmm. And it'd be great. Uh, so good for him. Good for his perseverance, you know, and his undying spirit. Yeah, he's he's definitely really made things work by he's even got the door back from the from the control room. Uh, he's working at trying to get the piano back. Like I think the piano is long gone. But he's he's working at getting certain items. Like there were actually albums, like gold albums, on the wall that pe- people stole, like early, early in the game. Um, so he's like he's trying to get it all mm. back there. He got the actual original um, studio monitors 
um, back. He bought them a few years before, but they're back in there now. You know, like it's funny how he's he's <laughs> it's going to happen. Like in our, right. we'll be able to we'll be able to record there, or you'll be able to. <laughs> it's happening. Yeah, it's happening. Yeah, and I never thought it would. So it's it's very very cool that uh, you know, yeah, it is fascinating because he's basically with a shovel and a in a wheelbarrow and some friends have basically cleared out that whole fire uh, destroyed area by hand. Mm. And uh, he, I asked him, I said, if you lost any weight, he goes, oh yeah, I've lost 30 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Plus, there's a lot of exercise to be done, so great. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I like the, the detail, you know, the, the signals detail with the dog and the and the fireman's water. I don't know how to say that in English. Fire hydrant, uh, yeah. Yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's also dressed up like, yeah, he's got a few other things in there, like all the other albums like that were recorded there. He's, he's basically making little of, you know, things out in the front for it to, yeah. And I, just, I, I know a few friends that recorded there in the 80s and 90s, well, 90s mostly. And uh, it's... It's interesting now. It's sort of snowballing, and it will actually eventually be where he wants to. Uh, he wants to make a festival where it'll be a fundraiser to put the you know to f- put the final uh, work back into the place and make it make it work. And uh, yeah, man. So I you know so we'll be able to uh, yeah we'll be able to go and just walk around the place. Are you familiar? You're familiar with the the Queen Recording Studio in in Switzerland. It's um in um off Lake Geneva. It's a it's a museum now to Freddie Mercury. Uh huh. Yeah, and people can walk around the recording I, studio. I heard, uh, yeah, I didn't know that there was it, it was turned into a museum and all that. But uh, yeah, I know that the Queen used to record at that same place, and I don't know how many albums they did there. Yeah, I think they did about they did everything from jazz up to the last album. They did, they recorded at that was their studio. Ah, so it was like Rush's list studio, you know, it yeah. was the same phenomena. Exactly, exactly. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Well, I um I have some music to play, but I my my playback machine is broken. So uh I can't play any music, but I will I will tap some music onto the front or back of this this uh this interview um so is there any chance of you coming up to canada and playing any shows what's what's your, you know i know you have your band and you have your record but are you gonna what's what's your plans mm, it'd be great it'd, it'd be another dream come true if it happens but not now <laughs> <laughs> nowadays we're recording yeah yeah we're recording the second album uh because the first one, of course, it's it's been done. It was released on January two thousand and nineteen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly one year ago, and I I've been promoting it as much as I can, and now the second album is halfway through. It's sounding great. I I think that it's a major improvement because the, the bass uh, the bassist and the drummer now. They are new guys, and they play like you know. It, it's amazing how good they are yeah. as players. Yeah, and the compositions. I mean, my brother's compositions and mine uh, are much better than the first album, which is 
something that we are very proud of. Mm-hmm. So I'm mean, very excited to see how it turns out. So it's uh, it's what I said at the beginning. I'm more interested in all this, you know, in creating music and feeling really satisfied with listening to, you know, to the final product at home and to release it, of course. That's, you know, that's the point. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. But playing live is, is very difficult. It's very difficult to to do it right, not in terms of rehearsing and being good performers. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's difficult to organize really interesting gigs, you know, and to make all of it worth it. It'd be great if I get to go to Canada and to, you know, and to play at a festival, you know, at a prog festival or rock festival or whatever. That'd be great, you know. Mm-hmm. But we, we we need that opportunity to happen. Yeah. To come to us. So expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very expensive. Plus, it's very expensive. Yeah, I, I had a band in the early 2000s, and we'd go play Europe, and it costs so much money to get there and to rent gear and to, you know, once you're there, it's it's pretty awesome, but then then you had to pay for everything, which it generally was all it's on my shoulders. <laughs> no, that's that's brutal. Yeah. But um, but you know what? It's 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 good that people can still put out records and still you know, put records out, uh, you know, put our records of music they want to put out. And we're in a, we're in a neat time now where we can actually, like I said, the niche is there. You just got to go find it. You know, it's, and that's not, you know, I, I don't know. Do you think the internet should be segregated to the point where I like this type of Norwegian death metal? I'm only going to go to this website because they have my specific type of Norwegian death metal, like, or should it be broadened? Should we be broadening this, this listening experience? Um, to me, it should be organic, you know, mm. it's like, it depends on the listener and it also depends on the artist to find the right people, you know, we need to find each other properly, but not uh, with some kind of middleman there saying, this goes here, this goes here, you know, yeah. it's like the way it is to me, it's okay. You know, anything goes, but we need to be responsible enough in order to make it work, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's free. It's quite free, you know, like very, very free. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you need to, to be clever enough to, to get to that people. I mean, when I started, the first thing that I thought was to, to find Rush uh, fans. Mm-hmm because I had some Rush covers, you know, back in 2009. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, let's go to the official Tom Sawyer video and let's see how many comments are there, you know, on that video. And there were plenty of of comments, you know, several users participating there. And I said, hey, I should send a private message to all of these people. Uh, and let them know about my cover. You know, it, maybe it was a Tom Sawyer cover or, or a Red Barchetta cover, I don't know. And a lot of those users started to comment and to follow me, you know, mm-hmm. and they liked that particular Rush cover. But then they got into the rest of the stuff that was at my channel. So that was the way. And I don't know, maybe I thought about making a Marillion cover then, and I did the same thing, you know, I applied the same method in order to search for all these 
people, you know, the the right people for that cover in particular. Mm-hmm. And it worked. I mean, I, I do have quite a following on Facebook, more than 5,000 followers. And that's good. It's not, um, it's not, not guarantee that they will buy your music, you know, or that they, and that's the most difficult thing. But yeah, there are people that are interested in what you do. At least, you know, the free stuff that you share on the internet. Oh yeah, that that's really easy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> easy to give away, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's good, but hey, man, it's not enough. So try to be responsible. Try to be a responsible fan. Yeah. You know, and make a commitment. Yeah, and that's where things are falling short because we have Spotify and Apple Music and we spend whatever, eight and nine bucks a month and get all the music we need. You know, the tip of yeah, our Yeah, but I don't use Spotify. Yeah. I, 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 it's not that I'm against Spotify. I don't like to talk in those terms. <laughs> Because I understand that it's a great tool for listeners, you know, for music consumers, mm-hmm. uh, but not for artists. I mean, I don't like it. I don't want my music to be there and to be given away. You know, if I know that for each play, I will get like 0.003 US dollars. Now, mm-hmm. uh, that's an insult. <laughs> you know, I don't yeah. feel good about it. So I just share previews, you know, with snippets of songs of light songs or my solo stuff on Facebook and YouTube because it's free. You know, I use those uh, social media platforms. And anytime that somebody says, hey, I really want to buy that record of yours, then we talk, you know, privately and I send them the music via Dropbox or we transfer Mm -hmm. once they have paid, you know, because if the album costs $10, then they pay. And I get like 9.20 USD for each album sale because PayPal only charges less than 10%, you know, uh, as a commission. And that's fair. And I I like that. I mean, I like not to do what everybody does because it has to be done, you know. The times say that this is the way now. And I don't feel good, you know. And I know that they don't feel good, you know, my colleagues aren't happy with Spotify and all that because they don't get, I don't, I mean, they don't get even a dollar, yeah. you know, yeah. and yeah. it's, it's sad, you know, you should respect your own art and do something about it. I do it and I feel good about it. I would love to, you know, to go viral, you know, that like, that's the, I mean, that's the aim. But if it doesn't happen, at least I feel good with myself because I do something about it, about respecting my music, you know. Yeah, well, that's that's really important, and and it's a good way to uh, to end off. I uh, I appreciate you being on the show, and uh, thank you for uh, you know emailing me, and I'm glad we got to t- come, you know, the time to talk, and you know, anytime, let me know. We can we can do this over and over again because uh, I like. Uh, I like supporting stuff like this because it's uh, it's important. Uh, it's been a pleasure, and I thank you for inviting me to this podcast. It's great, uh, and yeah, anytime. Yeah. And it's good stuff, you know. And it needs to be talked about, <laughs> I yeah. guess. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's music. It's art. Let's. Uh, we should. We should. Uh, you know, appreciate all types of art and 
And, you know, if I can be a little part and a little help in that, then that's, that's, that's all I need. <laughs> that's excellent. Okay, man. Well, have a good, uh, good night and we'll, we'll talk to you again. All right. Thank you very much. Take it easy. Good night because it's night here. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Claudio the Gift uh, from the band Light. Um, yeah. Yeah. Welcome back to 2020. Everybody, 2020, as uh, as uh, Mark Holmes from Platinum Blonde says, the Roaring Twenties. Here we are. We're back at it. Um, yeah, fun episode. Thing, first one of the year. I think I'm gonna skip a Greatest Hits. Looking over what I had, you know, it was okay, but it was. I mean, the time is over. I had a very busy uh, Christmas season. I just didn't have time to put it together, so we're gonna skip it. Okay, right. If you want to support the show, go to Patreon.com/slash/Applog. And, uh, you know, cost no money. All that good stuff. Shop on Amazon, appalog.ca slash Amazon, or appalog.ca slash US Amazon. Mm, what's happening? I don't know what's happening. I'm busy. And you know, it's January. I'm busy. And usually this time in January, I'm kind of quiet and slow, but I'm very busy. I've been working for a band. You know, going out to flying out and doing shows in places and things like that. It's, it's quite taxing. So, anyways, next week I don't know who I have for a guest, but I'm trying to get some people on board, trying to get back in the rev of things and get some weekly episodes out so y'all can listen to them. So, anyways, have a great 2020. We will see you again in the near future. Ta-ta. Ta-ta.